Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kopinski, and today my guest is Kathleen West, author of Home or Away, an incisive look at toxic friendships, old alliances, and overcompetitive parenting in organized youth and elite hockey. As two former Olympic hopefuls pass along their love of the game and the rest of their baggage to the next generation. A little about Kathleen, she's a veteran school teacher. She graduated with a degree in English from McAllister College and holds a master's degree in literacy education from the University of Minnesota. She lives in Minneapolis with her A-plus human family and two B-minus dogs. Kathleen West, welcome to A Bookish Home. I really loved this book, and I'm excited to get to talk to you today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I thought the book was just completely addictive. I I think I binge read it in maybe a day. And um, I saw you wrote somewhere that you hoped that even non-sports fans would be really rooting for this family. And I'm probably the least sporty person you could think of. So, oh. And I can attest that you don't have to be a hockey fan or a sports person to love the book. Although I was laughing, I did feel very sporty like reading about hockey on the couch while there was like some game my husband was watching on TV in the background. I was like, I see I'm sporty. I'm reading about sports. <laughs> but I'm so happy you were able to connect with it. Um, yeah, I really, I mean, I love sports and I like to do sports, but I, I wanted it to have a wider readership than just parents on the sidelines. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so rooting for these characters and um, it was just such a interesting look at this whole world that you've kind of brought to life. And um, I know that some of that comes a little bit from real life. So I'm just kind of curious, sort of um, the inspiration for the book, how you got started writing, um, writing this one. And um, I, I know I read something about some of it kind of originated with your own sort of hockey mom anxiety. <laughs> yeah, you know, this book came from a lot of places. Um, after I wrote my second book, my my agent asked me to think of a hundred ideas for book three, um, and really just like a sentence each, so not like a long thing for each of the hundred. But I found myself writing a lot of pitches about books about sports, and I think that's because um, sports is so important in family life, American family life, and you know parenting culture. And I also am so interested in ambition in general. Um, around the time that I started writing this book, I read an article about Arch Manning, the teenager who is the heir apparent of the Peyton and Eli Manning legacy. Oh, he's their nephew. And the article I read was in Sports Illustrated, and he was like 15 years old when I read it. And it was talking about him like he was, you know, destined to be this. Um, game changer in the NFL. And I just couldn't help thinking, like, what if he blows a knee? Or what if he decides to do something else? And what would happen to all of that ambition and parental pressure and family obligation? So that was kind of in my mind as I started this story, too. Um, at the same time, I have two teenage sons. So I've been um, enmeshed in youth sports culture now for, I don't know, 14 years or something. And I have had a lot of observations about um parenting on the sidelines and how parents tend to take credit for their children's accomplishments or feel responsible for their children's failures. And I was interested in all of that. Yeah. And, and just kind of reading and getting sucked into it, it, it does seem just really difficult to navigate, you know, especially since it did seem like such a pressurized world where if you don't 
let kids who are interested take it seriously at a young age, then somehow they're like left behind and not able to compete later. Um, which was, yeah, I I felt stressed just kind of reading about it and thinking about it, but I would love to hear too about Lee and Susie and sort of any real life people you drew on. I know I read that you did some research talking to the U S women's hockey team. So I'd love to hear about that and just kind of how you, developed these characters and and their stories. Yes, absolutely. And I think what you said about just a minute ago about feeling pressure to start early, I think that pressure is exacerbated in hockey because of the need to ice skate. So I chose hockey for the book for a few reasons, but one of them is if you don't teach your kids to ice skate as toddlers, it's very hard for them to ever get good at hockey. So it's an extra layer of kind of intensity that's required to kind of reach that that high level. Um, And also I'm from Minnesota. So hockey's really big here and women's hockey started here really in the mid nineties. And so Lee and Susie, my two women characters in the book, they would have been on the cutting edge of that. Like in their high school career, they would have been on the first team that their schools had had for girls hockey. And Lee was the third ever Ms. Hockey for Minnesota, which is a real award that people get here. So <clears throat> I was kind of interested in in that aspect too, because it would have required them to play with boys growing up. They would have had to really fight for everything that they had and distinguish themselves even more to get to the level that they were at. And I liked thinking about the intensity that would have been required of them. Um, I have, I interviewed three elite hockey players. One of them is a little younger and she actually appears, her own name appears in the book. Her name is Madeline Wethington and she plays at the University of Minnesota, which is one of the top hockey programs in the country. And she had been my student when she was in seventh grade. And I just talked to her about, you know, getting tapped for those national teams early and, and what it felt like to fly there and be friends with the people, but also compete against them and how it felt on her college team to make like the power play squad or the penalties kill squad and to take other senior starting positions as a younger player, just kind of getting a sense of, of how she thinks about it. And something that she said that stood out to me so much was that one of her coaches said, you know, making the Olympics is not about once every four years. It's about every single day. And that has to be true, but it's also so intense. Like it requires such a focus, you know, like, and and I think it tends to, that kind of intensity can kind of spill over. Like Madeline is a really excellent person in every aspect of her life. So that level of pressure that she puts on herself or feels, you know, from her team or wherever it comes from, I think is kind of all encompassing. So I was so interested in that. And I had already talked to her when I got connected with my two Olympians that I spoke with. And, um, I I was just wanting to know from them details about making the Olympic team because they were all at the training camp in Lake Placid that I write about in Homer Away. That was the exact year they were on the team that year. So I wanted to know what was the training camp like? What did you do? Like, what were your dorm rooms like? Like all those kind of details. And also, where do you sit when you make the team or not make the team? And is that private or public? And so all the logistics, but also like the mindset and the women are just as intense as you'd expect you'd have to be to try to be the best in the world at something. I mean, I felt like I kind of got into it in the book, but in real life, like I'm not nearly the best in the world at anything. So um, (laughs) that like that level of commitment and, and sort of like responsibility to your talent almost that, that you'd feel is real. I also wondered like how they felt about each other and 
um, on the team and whether there was like a sisterhood there. Of course, like we want there to, I want there to be a sisterhood there. And that's the storyline when you watch the Olympics, but it's really cutthroat to get to that spot. I asked one of the women who had been a goalie on, I think, three different Olympic teams, if she'd ever stayed in contact with anyone who'd been cut from the team. And she said, oh, no, I would never contact anyone who'd been cut because I know that person would be actively wishing me harm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it sounds so intense, but it's also pretty like natural and obvious. I think like this is for Lee in my book and for a lot of real life people, like making the Olympics is the singular goal. And if you don't make it, you might feel like Lee, like totally lost, like, or what was your, the purpose of your life and everything you did in every moment of every day, like my student Madeline, who's trying to make the Olympic team, like what was all of that for? So I was just interested in that dynamic. Yeah, I, I thought it was fascinating. And the whole idea of because all of this is happening when you're so young, what do you do with all of that um, drive and perfectionism and and talent as you um, go through the rest of your life? Yes. And I think that was really interesting how you explored that in here. The other thing I liked, and I was curious if you kind of um, kind of designed the book this way, I thought it was interesting kind of having Lee leave and then she decides to kind of come back and re-enter this world and we're able to sort of see everything through her eyes and she's seeing it a little bit fresh mm -hmm. too and her husband's seeing it fresh because he's not from Minnesota and obviously her son too. So I'm kind of curious um, if that's kind of why the, the story goes that way and, and what it was like for you to kind of um, try to bring that whole uh, Minnesota culture and, and hockey life um, to the, you know, make it so real for us. Yeah. I, well, I just tried to imagine what would happen to Lee, like when she came home from that camp, how she would get home and what she would do. And I just couldn't picture her ever picking up that hockey equipment again, like that scene of her throwing her bag down the basement stairs has been there from the first draft. So she comes home from Lake Placid. She hasn't made the team. She goes back to her parents' house and she throws her equipment down the basement steps and she's done with the game. Um, and the book has gone through many, many iterations, but that particular image has been there the whole time. And I think like she couldn't bear to go back, um, partly because she felt like she had sacrificed so much and we haven't touched on it yet, but like there's the whole me too aspect of the story where she's, um, her coach tells her that she will make the team if she has an affair with him, if she sleeps with him at the training camp. And so she does that, even though she's in a really serious relationship with the man that she then marries very quickly after she's done with hockey. So all of that is like swirling. And I just, I imagined her just never being able to peek back into that world. Like she needed to shut the door completely. And then of course she carries that wound with her forever. And the only thing that would ever really bring her back, I think, is the desire of her child. You know, he says she kind of did her best not to introduce him to the hockey world, but the family is really into hockey and and he learns to skate and her husband gets into it. And he's like, I want to be part of that. And so that's really the only thing that she would that would bring her back. Um, but, yes, I wanted her to be out of it for a long time and then back in 20 years later. Yeah. And I, I loved that we got the different perspectives in this book too. And I was wondering if that um, was sort of always your plan as you were writing. And in particular, 
I thought the disconnect between how Lee feels about hockey and how her husband thinks she feels about hockey for <laughs> most of the book, um, just I thought that tension was really interesting. And um, I, I, I liked his character a lot. I thought he was kind of fun to read about him, him trying to work on his novel that he's been working on forever that's sort of loosely based on her life and career and us kind of knowing as the reader that she would be completely horrified by that. Um, and I was just wondering like how, yeah, how those perspectives came to be and kind of how you tapped into those different voices. Yeah, I really like to write from multiple perspectives. When I first started writing um, novels, seriously, which is like eight years ago now, um, I was very inspired by Leon Moriarty, the author of Big Little Lies and The Husband's Secret. And this was a this was her technique. Like she switches perspectives, and then you get a very close look at the inside workings of the of each character's brain. I don't think she always does it the way I do, which is like a separate chapter for each person. But I, I really like seeing those inner thoughts of every character. Um, so I have done that in each of my three novels. And in this book, I really wanted to explore the marriage between Lee and Charlie. My previous books have not been about marriage at all. Um, and I wanted to go there. Like I thought that would be a, a new, fresh territory for me as a writer. And I thought, um, really interesting to think about a couple that's been dating since they were 19 or 20 and now they're 40. And how do you navigate that? Like they've obviously changed. They've obviously like kept things from each other or sacrificed different things, sometimes telling each other and sometimes not. So I wanted to think about that, like how that relationship could evolve over time. And the whole time I was pretty committed to it working out. So, um, there was that. So I felt like in order to really see the marriage, we had to get both characters. I, I really like to see how other characters respond to other characters' actions. So how Lee would respond to Charlie's actions. And you already know what Charlie's motivation is because he's told us in a previous chapter. And then I like to see how the other people are interpreting that. I especially like to see how kids interpret their parents' behavior. So in each of my three books, I've had kid points of view. Um, Gus is the littlest. He's only nine in the book. So that was a real challenge. And when I first started drafting, I wasn't sure if I could keep, if I could have that, like if I could have a nine-year-old point of view, but it came together in such a sweet way. I ended up really liking Gus and my previous two novels are much funnier. Um, I, I generally think of myself as like a, a, a humorist, like a funny writer. And I was worried a little bit when I was writing this book, I was talking with my agent and I was like, well, there's just nothing funny about sexual harassment. Like I, this is not a funny book. And there are moments of funniness. And I think I was able to bring some of that in, or at least some sweetness in with Gus, which is why his point of view um, is in the book too. Sometimes I write points of view that get cut entirely. And in this book, the only one that did was that um, the assistant coach, Jeff, I used to have, he was a point of view character, but I found him to be so one note and so despicable as a person that I wasn't interested in spending any time in his head. That's so interesting. I I, almost, I kind of cringed as you said that, because I don't know that I, I don't think I could have no. um, spent time in his head as a reader. So um, yeah, I think that was the right call, but it was good to, a lot of times the stuff that I write that ends up getting cut really does inform the story. And so to force myself to hear his perspective or to like understand what his motivation was, um, was helpful at least to write his actions. Um, so it wasn't for nothing, but no, he did not belong in the book. 
Well, you know, I know you mentioned that you've been writing, I think you said for eight years, and I'm always interested in people's writing journeys. So I'd love to hear kind of what got you started writing novels and kind of how you broke into publishing. Yeah, I I have always sort of thought of myself as a writer. Um, Since I was in elementary school, I viewed myself that way and often wrote for fun or outside of school um, as a hobby. And then um, I'm also very driven and practical as a person. So actually Lee came very easily to me too, as a character. Um, so I, you know, I went to college and I, I graduated and started teaching immediately and met my husband and got married and had two kids and went to grad school. And then all of a sudden I was in my mid thirties and, and realized like, Oh, I'm going to turn 40, whether or not I try to write a novel. So I think maybe I should just try to write one. (laughs) Um, and when I first started it, it was as a new year's resolution. I was like, just write every day, like try to write a story. The first year I wrote something that was not meant to be at all, um, kind of an intergenerational family saga that was going nowhere. And then the second year I wrote the story that became my debut novel, which was Minor Dramas and Other Catastrophes, which was inspired by my own son, who's now 18. He was 12 at the time, and he was um, trying out for the middle school musical and and his escapades in that and what I imagined a high powered theater mom to do during that process was kind of the jump start for minor dramas. So um, I got really lucky with that debut debut novel in that when I was shopping it around in 2018, um, the varsity blues college admissions scandal was raging. And so helicopter parenting was very much in the public mind. And um, I was able to sell that book pretty quickly and when I sold it, my publisher asked for another book to be due the following year. So I took one year off from teaching and I wrote my second novel at that time. And I really miss teaching. And also a regular paycheck is good. So now I'm back in the classroom writing a little sl- more slowly. <laughs> but that's how I got into it. I was curious about that. And I, well, I want to ask you about teaching too, but just since you mentioned the second book, I know it recently came out in paperback too, yeah. which is exciting. Congratulations. Can you tell us a little bit about that second book? Yeah, that book is called Are We There Yet? And I actually stole a couple of characters from that failed intergenerational family saga that I mentioned oh. um, for that book. Yeah, it's a totally different story, but I stole stole a couple of characters from it. And that story is about a mom who is in her mid-30s, and she is impeccably put together. She's an interior designer, and she has reached the same phase I was at when I started writing novels where – your youngest kid is maybe six or seven and you have a little more bandwidth for your career or for hobbies. And she thinks she's kind of in the clear to ramp up her business and she's got a great reputation in the community. And then her seventh grade son gets in really big trouble at school for a very troubling bullying incident. Um, and it's about how her reputation among her friend group and in her family changes after her kid does this really stupid and bad thing. Um, and he's also a point of view character in the book too. So you got his point of view and hers and, and a couple of the other moms, um, in their circle. And I loved, there's also an adoption storyline and I was adopted at birth. So I love that book. It's a really, um, it's a family drama that I'm very proud of. And 
uh, it came out at a terrible time because we'd all been locked up with our teenagers for a year when it released in March of 2021. Um, and it's about teenagers behaving badly. And I think we were all just very familiar with that <laughs> when it happened. So, yeah, well, Homer Away is the, is my first book that I found of yours and of course loved it. So I, I always love the experience of, like discovering a book, an author that you love, and then realizing oh, I can, they have other books. I can go back and read them. So I'm so yeah. excited to, to read those. They sound great. And I'll definitely link to those. If Thank um, you. If you yeah, I think it's out. awesome. You know, like building up a, I can't believe that this is where I am. Like I have three books out. I'm very proud of that. And I tell my students, um, I think the writing has, my writing has gotten progressively better. I love all three books, but Homer Away, I'm very proud of how it turned out and like on the sentence level. I think it's my best work. So, and I think that's great. You know, like you want to get better as you go. Um, but many other readers tell me that their favorites, favorite book is one of the other books. So maybe they're not paying as close attention to the syntax as I am. <laughs> well, I'm excited. And yeah. and did I see, I, I think it was your social media where I saw you had a student come up to you and say like, yeah, you're, you're pretty good at writing, I guess. Oh, yeah, my students <laughs> are so funny and they bring me so much joy. I actually love teaching and teaching and writing is a great balance because I'm, I'm a pretty big extrovert and being with people um, makes me happy. And when you write for a job, you're just alone kind of in a room and you don't really know how you're doing on a daily basis and there's no positive feedback and no one gives you a gold star or anything. But when you're in a room of kids, you can see immediately like how you're doing. And because I've been doing it for such a long time, I generally know how to fix it if it's going poorly and the relationships are so valuable to me. So it's wonderful. And this, this student is one of my very favorites and she, she had borrowed um, minor dramas from my classroom library. She's like, Oh, this is your book. I'm going to take a look. And then she brought it back. She's like, I'm returning this. I'm like, what would well, you think? And she's like, well, to be honest, I didn't have time to finish it, but I will say like, you are actually a really good writer. <laughs> I was like, well, thank well, you. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe you want to actually finish the book next time. Oh, that's so funny. That's so sweet. Um, do you have like particular favorite books to teach or that have um, led to really um, just interesting discussions or times in the classroom that have stuck with you? That's a great question. I have taught a lot of different levels of school. I've taught third grade and then sixth through 12th, basically. So Lots and lots of um, of levels of teaching. And this year, I'm a long-term sub teaching U.S. Lit. So in the books that I'm teaching, I basically know by heart. We've had a wonderful time um, reading The Great Gatsby and The Crucible and A Raisin in the Sun. Right now, we're reading Their Eyes Were Watching God, um, which I always love teaching. And I'll be at the same school next year, but I'll actually get to develop my own curriculum. So that will be fun. In terms of like all-time favorites, in sixth grade, we read this beautiful middle grade novel called Pax, P-A-X. Oh, I love Pax. Yes. I found that book to be so generative in terms of conversations with the kids. Um, and it's just so beautiful. Uh, so if you have younger kids, or even if you just like middle grade, that would be a great book. And then also in sixth grade, which I taught um, most that was my longest stint recently. We read The Circuit by Francisco Jimenez, which is maybe 20 years old, 25 years old. It's a beautiful collection of essays or short, short nonfiction stories about um, a kid who grew up in a migrant farm working family. I remember, I think I might have read that in high school or something. Yeah. I, I can vividly remember that cover. Um, 
Well, I'm curious, I'm sure you're doing lots of reading for your teaching, but have you read any other great books like lately that you'd want to recommend to listeners? Yes. Well, I always read, I try to read 52 books a year. I think I'm a little bit behind, but I'm going to totally catch up in the summer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I yeah. tell from talking to me that I'm like a big goals person. Like, I'm like, okay, well, how are we <laughs> achieving today? Um, so I right now I'm reading this book called The Younger Wife by Sally Hepworth. And I haven't read any of her work before, but I bought this book when I was on a trip to a bookstore in South Carolina recently and a reader there like shoved it into my hands. And sure enough, it's awesome. I love, especially in busy times of my life, I really like to read um, mysteries or thrillers that are like total page turners. And this would fit in that category. It's about, um, you get multiple perspectives and it's a guy whose wife, he's probably 60 and his wife has early onset dementia. So she's moved into a nursing home and he's going to marry a much younger woman who's the age of his daughters. And then you kind of find out through a series of anecdotes that he might not be the guy that anyone thinks he is. Oh, so I have been, and it's like one of those books where you like the writing is good. So you want to read every page, but you also really want to have, find out what happens. So you like have to stop yourself from skipping ahead. Oh, well, you'll so, have the same experience then where you can go, Oh, she's got great other books. Cause I will recommend, I loved her book, the mother-in-law. I haven't read the younger wife yet, but the mother-in-law was really okay. Good. Good. I'll probably pick that up. <laughs> and then I also read recently the Christie affair by Nina de Gramont, I think is her name. Um, oh. I enjoyed that a lot. And then I'll add a third. Um, Stephanie Robel had a follow-up book. She's the author of Darling Rose Gold, which was a big hit a few years ago. And she has a new book called This Might Hurt that I thought was just absolutely brilliant. It has a totally layered and sophisticated plot. I'm not even sure how she pulled it off, but I was riveted. The writing is beautiful. It's also kind of a mystery thriller, so you, you have the page turning, but it's so atmospheric. It's about us, like two sisters, and one sister joins a cult. And the other one has to go to the cult to try to get her out. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, all sound good. I'll have to yeah. link to all those for listeners. Okay. Well, one of the things I was thinking about as um, we were talking is I'm noticing lately as I pay attention to like who the publisher is for particular books that I'm loving so many books that come out of Berkeley. And I'm just curious what it's been like to work with them as your publisher. Berkeley is such a great publisher. They do like um, commercial fiction. And I really, I have a hard time with these genre designations um, because I feel like um, a lot of times women's writing gets sort of put down or denigrated in the public sphere. Um, but it's just as good as like the family dramas that men are writing. Yep. <laughs> but Berkeley does a lot of commercial fiction, which means that it's going to be great for your book club or it's a it's going to be a really page turny thriller or romance. I have loved working with Berkeley. I have a brilliant editor there named Carrie Donovan, and she um, without her, my books would not be nearly what they are. She always has like a really great edit in this last book. I, I did a lot of, I usually cry when I get my edit letters because it's just so much work wow. <laughs> and it just feels so personal every time, but she's always right. So that at least I have some confidence, like, okay, if you do what she says, like you're going to get to some place that you never knew you could get to. Uh -huh. um, and in this time, this book, she really pushed me to lean into the friendship between Lee and Susie and our final edits were about that. And I think it really did make a big difference, but I've enjoyed working with 
her so much um, because I've been basically a pandemic author. My first book came out in March of 2020. I haven't had a ton of contact with my team in person, but I've met so many talented writers um, through working with them. I mentioned Stephanie Robel. Another friend of mine is Laura Hankin. She publishes with Berkeley um, and she's a genius. And of course, like I, I love their, they do so many good rom-coms and romances. Um, I'm loving, I love Emily Henry. I can't wait to read her new book. And I actually have a author friends. They're writing as Allie Brady, but they're a writing duo and they have their debut coming out from Berkeley in, in June. It's called the beach trap. So yes, I agree with you. They put out so many great books that are so readable and so well done. So yeah, yeah. Love, love Berkeley. Well, I'm curious, um, kind of twofold, just kind of lastly, what you're working on now and kind of just what your writing routine's been like lately. Oh, I'm just groaning because I, <laughs> I've been in, usually I'm really great about getting my work done. Um, I had a new experience this time. So I had a 2020 book, a 2021 book, and then Homer Away in 2022. And my plan, I have a fourth book under contract and my plan was to have that come out next year in 2023. But I worked for a year on a book um, that was like a murder that took place on a golf course. And my publisher and I were both like, well, I don't think this is your next project actually. So um, that was a new experience for me. So I've shelved that manuscript and then I pitched a different idea, um, another mystery idea and that was inspired by my teaching job this year. I'm teaching at my alma mater, which is an all girls private Catholic school that used to be attached to a convent. The convent's still there now, but the nuns don't live there. So um, I was thinking about, I've been calling it nun murder fire book, which is obviously not a title that rolls up. <laughs> um, I pitched that and they were like, how about something a little more lighthearted? So I came up with a really good idea that I'm excited about, but now we've entered one of the busiest times of the year with like final exams and finishing. Oh yeah. So I'm looking forward to June where I'm going to just spend a lot of time like digging into this new project. And I'm hoping to have like a mostly full draft. Gosh, wouldn't it be great if I could have that by August, like a rough, rough draft, which is probably possible. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, I'll, I'll look forward to, to getting to read that. And I'm sure, yeah, that is, must be nice to kind of change gears a little bit for wonderful summer. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then I'm also like I professionally teaching wise, I've had a busy time and then I'm also graduating a senior, which is a new thing for me. And I have a lot of feelings. So I process those feelings too. Well, I have just loved talking with you so much and I really hope that listeners pick up Homer away. I hope librarians get it for their libraries, hand it to um, neighbors and friends, because I just, I really adored this one. I think people will love reading it. And yeah, best of luck with the next project. And thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this a lot. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop, Um, A Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization Bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports a bookish home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. 
So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash a bookish home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.